Welcome to the One Haas Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and today we're joined by Elena Gomez. Elena is the Chief Financial Officer of Toast, the cloud-based and end-to-end technology platform purpose-built for the entire restaurant community, and one of my favorite apps, <laughs> to say the Good least. Good to know. Love it. Prior to Toast, Elena served as the Chief Financial Officer at Zendesk, where she helped scale the company to over $1 billion in annual revenues, another product that I use uh, heavily as an entrepreneur. And Elena is deeply passionate about and committed to advancing diversity and inclusion initiatives in the workplace. She serves on the board at Haas School of Business and the Boys and Girls Club San Francisco. And of course, she holds a BS in accounting degree from our very own Haas School of Business. Welcome to the podcast, Lena. Thank you for having me, Sean. I'm excited to chat with you today. So, you know, before we kind of get into all that, we'd love to hear about your uh, origin story, you know, where you grew up, where your parents are from, and uh, we'll start there. So I am uh, half Mexican, half Salvadorian. And so my parents met here in the Bay Area in high school when they were 18. They had both immigrated here and um, got married young and, and whatnot. And I was the third child and the only girl. I have two older brothers. So that just means I was like the baby and spoiled, just so you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> turned out okay. I turned out okay. I still worked hard. So yeah, my parents, you know, classic immigrants, hardworking. And uh, one dream they had was that all their kids would go to college. And so they hustled and worked and got so many stories of my mom and dad working double jobs, whatever they could, so they could save up money for their house just to to get by, frankly, when we were um, young. And so I remember my parents growing up saying, hey, you can do anything you want to do. And this is at a very, very young age, like going into first grade, my mom saying, you're just as good as anybody else in that class, you know, that kind of thing. To later on, as we got older, they were pretty clear we were going to go to college. I don't think we figured out how we were going to pay for it or anything, but it was clear we were going. It wasn't a matter of, you know, if we were going is really where we were going. And so I always had that in my my head and my calculus. And so I just, you know, worked hard and I saw them working hard. And so that meant I should work hard and that paid off and, you know, good grades and good work ethic at a very, very young age. And then my brother, my older brother went to Cal, actually. So he's a Cal alum. So go Bears. Go Bears. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, um, it was interesting when I got into to different colleges, I told him my choices and my, you know, naive first choice was not to go to Cal because I didn't know a thing about Cal than he had gone and so on and thought, oh, I'll just go to this other school. And he called me and said, um, sorry, but you're going to Cal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and thank God, because that would have been the wrong choice. And um, I'm so grateful that I ended up at Cal and studied there for four years, got into the Haas School of Business, applied. You know, at that time, you had to come in undeclared and then apply to the Haas School of Business. Yeah. And I thought for a minute I, I wanted to be an architect. So I did take one detour and took one semester of architecture class and then realized this was not for me and went back to business and ultimately graduated from the hospital business. And from there, I got a job at the big six firm. But I'll tell you, my preparation at Haas was so invaluable for me in terms of getting my first job and, and then has played out for the rest of my career. To take it back a step, I have two questions. One is, did you grow up with a lot of family around? Like, like oh, grandparents yeah. or relatives? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It was uh, and continues to be, but it's something I'm really proud of, actually. we. So my grandfather was my nanny, and so when my parents were doing their double jobs, he moved from El Salvador, and he was an accountant, and actually he's what inspired me to be an accountant originally. That was my second question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was the one. So he came. We were living in the Outer Mission in San Francisco area, which is a very Hispanic-oriented neighborhood and a lot of Mexican. It continues to be very much a lot of rich culture in the Mission District in San Francisco. So spent a lot of time on the 14 Mission Muni bus going with my grandparents in the summers with them. And he... He would always tell me, hey, you know, if you want to have a job, you should be an accountant. So I started counting his money. And he would tell me I should be an accountant when I didn't know what the word meant. Uh, he goes, just count my money. That'll help you understand. And so um turned out as actually as he got older, he started to become blind. And so he needed me to count his money. And I was seven years old, you know, it's like, okay, you have... $82. And I would organize it in his wallet. So he, he would know since he couldn't see, he would know like the order. I'm like, okay, you have four twenties and then you have a five and then you have, so it was, it was a really special time actually with my grandfather in my life, super inspirational to me. And he was an accountant in El Salvador and then became, then came here and did some or more bookkeeping here. But, um, that's how I became an accountant really because of him. That's amazing. So what did you do after Haas? You know, how did you end up being, you know, CFO, all these amazing tech companies in the Bay? Yeah, that's a good question. So the first thing I did, if I go back to where I started my career that I did, I think, right, if you will, is I made sure that I was both, you know, good at my trade, good at whatever it was, whether it's accounting or finance, if you will, but relatable to people. And that really helped me in my interviews at Huffs, actually. You know, big six rooms would come. I'm dating myself because it was I think there's four now, but back then <laughs> there were six. Yeah. And they would come to campus and you know, a little intimidating when you're twenty years old and you've never worked and you gotta show up in a suit and talk to work people, at least for someone like me who I didn't have parents who were in the corporate world. So this was very foreign to me. And so I interviewed really well and and I actually made a bet with the partner who was interviewing me that I could beat him at basketball. And he kind of liked that. And so he offered me the job and then we went out and played hoops, which was really just something that probably most of my peers didn't do. But that really was the beginning of me realizing if you can be just relatable and real on who you are. And I'm a big basketball person. I was going to Warrior Games way back then, 30 years ago you know, you can really connect with people. And that connection with people has often played a role in my career, my 30-year career. And so it started pretty young and, and, and at Haas, actually. So after Haas, I got a job at KPMG with that partner that I uh, I did beat in horse. And so on the record, <laughs> um, I went to KPMG and then Schwab and then from Schwab to Salesforce. I just really had a passion for learning how businesses work. And at KPMG, I got the opportunity to see the breadth of companies around me. And I was, if you know, a big four now, but big six companies, they, they often at a very early part of your career, they throw you in with executives and you kind of don't always know what you're talking about, but you, you have to sort of hold your own. Mm -hmm. so it was an incredible training for me 
which then got me to Schwab. I spent 11 years at Schwab and really started there as an analyst and left as an executive at Schwab. Like I, I distinctly remember getting there and realizing, okay, I'm, I'm kind of going to learn the business. It's my first job in, instead of being a consultant, but actually in the company. And I grew so much by working with some amazing leaders at Schwab, one of which was an early mentor for me. And after Schwab, I took a quick turn to Visa in Foster City and spent about 18 months there, maybe a little less than 18 months, when I got a call for a company called Salesforce.com, which <laughs> at the time was like, Salesforce.what? I've never heard of them. And there are a thousand employees or something. And I think they're north of 60,000 today, but yep. something like that. So I went and took that job. That really put my my career on the map at that point. Well. I thought I was going to take some time off after that. And then I got a call about this amazing company that I work at now called Toast. And uh, I took that job. I'm having a blast. Toast is a restaurant software, but it really connects my career in three ways. One is SaaS, which I learned at Salesforce. FinTech, which is very new to me, but I was in financial services at Charles Schwab. And so it kind of brings that part of my career back. And then leadership, of course, is something I've just been working on my whole career. So all dimensions of my job are coming into fruition in this last, not last job, but in my current job. Since the Latinx Heritage Month and you work at Toast, you know, company related to food, uh, I have to ask, you know, do you have any celebrations from a culinary standpoint yourself? Yeah, you know, uh, I've started, it's recent, like in the last few years, I've started always to kick off at home. I love to make pozole and we make it often, but... To kick off Latin Heritage Month, I always start that night with Bostola, and I remind my kids, they've grown up and are born here, but I, I definitely want them to know their roots, and so um, and they love Bostola, so we, we start that night with a nice warm cup of Bostola. It's a good time of year for it, too, starting to get a little crisp out here. So, I guess for any listeners who may not be familiar with Bostola, uh, spelled P-O-Z-O-L-E, if you want to Google it, can you uh, tell them what it is? Sure. It's a soup. And it can be made, it always, it typically has hominy in it. I put a little jalapeno in it to a little, little kick. And it can be made of chicken or pork. We make either. I make both types. And um, typically you put a little cabbage on top, a little aguacate and a little cilantro. And it's just an amazing, amazing meal. Basically a soup meal, if you will. It's a pretty traditional Mexican dish. So most, if there are any listeners who are Mexican, they would definitely understand what pozole is. And even, even myself from Salvadorian roots as well, it was something grew up eating. It's funny. It's a kind of, I like guess not funny. I, we've done Latinx Heritage Month, I think two years in a row now on this podcast. And I just realized I never even brought up or shared with our listeners why we celebrate mid-September to mid-October. Why is it this two-month span. And the reason is, so I looked it up, which is why these heritage months are important, because then you learn about the culture and, and the history. For sure. The reason is there are eight Latin American countries whose uh, independence days fall between September 15th and October 15th. Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, all on September 15th of 1821. And then Chile is September 18th, and then Belize is September 21st. So... For any listeners who didn't know, now you know. 
Yeah. Little little knowledge. You're dropping knowledge on this uh, podcast, Sean. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, on that on that note, do you mind sharing a little bit about your passion for advancing diversity and inclusion in the workplace? You know, I'll tell you a story when I a couple things that I'll share. One is not only being Latin, but also being female, both are so important to me. And uh, when I became the CFO of Zendesk, I, you know, you, typically they put your your picture on the website if you're on the management team. That's just the thing. So the someone called and said, hey, your picture's up on the website. And I was two days in and I was home with my kids. And my daughter, Sophia, comes and she looks at the website and she's five at the time. She's like, oh, mommy, you're you're famous. And then my eight-year-old comes to my computer and she's, you know, she's scrolling on the website and she sees my picture and she's scrolling and she's like, hey, where are all the other pretty girls you work with? And it was because I was the one female on the website and all my peers were men. So she was in right. her mind. She's like, where are all your girlfriends that you, don't you, when you go to work, don't you have girlfriends? Like I have girlfriends at school. Why don't you have girlfriends yeah. at work? So it was at that moment that I really appreciated the role I play, not only from a gender standpoint, but from a person of color, because what she didn't say was all the other people on the table were also white men. And that's part of the world we live in. And I would tell you that over time, and Zendus is a great example of a company who really cares about diversity, but it's very hard to do. It's, it takes years and a lot of work and a lot of focus. And so I felt really passionate there to sort of be the role model and really do what I could to bring more diversity to Zendesk and to, to really the corporate, not just Zendesk, but just the corporate world in general. And it's so important because I, I see how, in fact, another example, when I still remember the first or second day I'm walking in the hallways, this was pre-COVID and we were in offices and I walked in and someone said, you can't believe how happy we are you're here. Random person, I remember it was a, a young woman, and um, I said, oh, well, thank you. Like, I didn't say why, but I was sort of struck by her. And she goes, you know what? Like, it's very weird to see a Latina in this position. And I was sort of completely taken aback because I just didn't think any differently. And I should have because I all in my career, I was always looking up, trying to see if there was someone that looked like me. Right. But I hadn't had someone tell me that ever until that moment. And then I realized how important that it was that, in fact, I had a responsibility to like kick butt in the job, you know, because I wanted to show them that not only am I Latina and I'm a female, but I'm going to crush the job. I want to do really well for the next generation so people can see that, look, give us an opportunity and you'll see we're going to crush it. And so that those two moments, like my kids looking at my website and this young woman who was Latina telling me that really inspired me. And then uh, I got involved with Haas and appreciating that diversity starts in the classroom and in the schools and anything we can do to get the pipeline of talent into the workplace, we should try to do. And right. I'll tell you, even as recently as, gosh, five years ago, I was looking for that kind of mid-level manager on my team, maybe like senior manager, director. And I told the team, I really want to see if I can find some people of color in the slate. I just want, I want some diversity in the, in the resumes we're looking at. Right. The pool. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't find it. We could not find it. And that just was so 
disappointing to me that I'm not going to give up on trying to help bring more diversity into finance, into the workplace, and into all aspects of corporate life. Because while we've made progress and we're having a lot of dialogue, there's still a lot more we can do and a lot more we should be doing. And one person at a time is going to be how the change is made. And so that's why I feel like even if I make a little bit of change, that's great. Yeah. And then I pass that on. And so that's that's why I'm passionate about it. And then as I've mentioned, I have two daughters and my husband's Mexican. So they're Latino descent, Latinas that will be in the workforce in, you know, 15 years, 10 years, a little more like 15, but they'll be in the workforce <laughs> at some point. And I, I don't want them to be the only Latina in the room. You know, I want them to have someone that looks like them in the room as well. Yeah. I think these dialogues are really important because when my co-founder and I started one of our companies, this was last year, it is top of mind for us from who we bring on as potential partners to obviously the pool of people that we look at for employee candidates, all the way to our advisors. Because the status quo is, is so easy to just obviously connect with people or bring on people that you know, right? People that look like you. And for us, it was, you know, my co-founder was Indian, male, and, and, and I'm Chinese and Asian. You know, it was easy to just find more Indians and Asians. And immediately right off the bat, we said, you know, no, that like, we can't just default to the crutch to that. Uh, we can do much better. That's amazing. That's awesome. As a young startup, because we don't, we don't start now. It's like, when, right? Yeah, no, that's, and I'll tell you what, it's so, just the point I just made, like you guys making that conscious choice one person at a time is really how, how it works. Not to knock, there's obviously broader campaigns and broader initiatives that people do. And I love those. Those are great. But it also, the collection of all these micro decisions that like you and your co-founder are making that I'm making when I'm hiring someone, the collection of all that also together is going to have an impact. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, if, like you said, it's about making sure the applicant pool is diverse. What you're selecting from is a diverse pool of people. Of course, we're going to hire, you know, the most qualified person out of that pool, but making sure that the pool is diverse. I think that's really important for people to understand. That's where it starts. Yeah. Absolutely. Were you successful? Oh, yeah. Very much so. Right on. So, Elena, you know, one of the things that happens once in few people's lifetimes, if, if not multiple times, is, yeah. is taking a company public. We'd love to hear your story of taking Toast public during the pandemic, too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I keep forgetting that, that little minor thing called a pandemic. So, look, it was a wonderful, amazing experience. If I reflect on my career, you know, Super Bowl of sorts for me in my career, and you work hard at, in your career for lots of moments, and this was a moment for me, pinch me moment, I would say, but it was hard work. And I think a couple lessons I learned along the way, both personally and just professionally, really have a lot to do with resilience, of course. Whenever you're on a path to taking a company public, there'll be you know, lot, hey, there's lots of work, lots of decisions you need to make, setbacks, you know, things that set you forward and so on. And so you really have to have conviction about the opportunity 
to weather all the different things that are going to come by and, and present themselves as you're on the path. And so, you know, I still continue to have that conviction now that we're public as a company and just how we can transform the restaurant industry and so on. And that's the story we told on the path, on the road to IPO. And there's so much more about that, but just the idea that we can really help small businesses and restaurants thrive, in particular at a time when they really needed support, that really felt unique. And and so the other lesson for me personally is to the extent you can get in a job something that you feel is aligned with your values, it really helps you every day because you're going to spend all this time working 14-hour days, 12-hour days, et cetera. And so for me, the fact that we could be in communities and really are a mission-driven company to help small businesses really kind of resonated with me. So that alignment of your values with where you work, I think, is really powerful if you can find it. And then, you know, on the path to IPO, like another learning for me is making sure you have the right people around you to get there because if not, you find yourself doing a lot of the work maybe or, you know, the quantum of work that needs to get done for an IPO to happen. There's no scenario that a CFO can do it alone. Like it's it just not, it's not the way it works. And so really be mindful that you have the team and be meticulous about picking that team. And that applies even outside of IPO timeframe, but of course, amplified during that time frame. So that was another learning um, or maybe reinforced something I already knew. And then, you know, there's a lot that happens in that last six months, right? So you, you know, you share your story with investors and they give you some feedback and then you share it again and you get more feedback. Those are all great lessons as well, because you think you can tell your story in one way, you have a narrative and they say, well, I have this question. And and so you're you're constantly refining the story and maybe refining the narrative. But for us, we were lucky in that our conviction about the opportunity and the narrative was largely intact from at least when I joined. And so I joined in May. We went public in September. So for about five months, I pretty much had no life. And that's all good. Ate a lot of bread. Just kidding. <laughs> Ate a lot of toast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but you know, what's also very cool actually is being in tech, right? You can work at a software company. I, I worked at Zendesk, I worked at Salesforce, and you understand the product because you work there and you you spend your time talking about the product all day long when you work. Right. But for Toast, you know, I get to go see it out in the wild. You know, every, every Friday night I'm going out to dinner tonight, I'm going to go to a Toast restaurant. And I love to ask the waiters, like, how do you like Toast? And I hope it's a good answer. <laughs> it usually is, but when it's not, now as a an executive or even an employee, I want to make it right for that restaurant. So right. that's also kind of fun is to see it in the wild. And it's really relatable to my day-to-day life. I'm a foodie, so I like, I like going there. But I'll tell you that the understanding of your product is such an important aspect of being a CFO or an executive, no matter what company you are in. It just happens that I get to go to restaurants and see it in action. But equally, when I was at Salesforce, I really want to understand, I wanted to use Salesforce every day. So I really understood the value of the product. Very similar at Toast. I want to go see it in action. I want to see the waiter using it. I want to ask him, does he like it? 
And that's just a part of being a well-rounded executive that I would encourage anyone as they're thinking about their career path, the importance of you getting as close to the customer as possible to understand the product is incredibly important. And so I did that as I was going on the path to IPO because when an investor was going to ask me, tell me about the value proposition, tell me how restaurants use it. I wanted to share some stories, which I did, like, hey, I, I talked to a waiter and he used it this way. And, and making that come to life was so important. And they too, a lot of our investors would say, hey, I was at a toast restaurant last night and the guy was using it. So that was, that was also helpful. It was kind of fun. That's neat. I, I mean, I do have to ask, were a lot of these roadshows virtual or did you get to do them in person? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. We did them all virtual. Wow. Get them all virtual. Can you imagine that? Like if they're the old days was you would fly to New York and you'd, you know, go to office to office to office. So we did a week of road shows. I think, it was, I think we counted over 80 meetings over maybe six days. Jesus. And we did it twice. You do your like test, what they call test the waters road show when you initially share that, that you're on a path. And then you did the final road show right before the IPO. And I think across those, there's probably over 100 meetings. They were all virtual until we got to New York the day before for the actual IPO. And actually, I had not met my teammates until New York, until we were going, like wow. the day before we were going. So I had been working with them for six months, getting ready, or five months, getting ready to go public. Remotely. Remotely. So we took the company basically public via Zoom. And then, you know, we showed up to ring the bell, of course, but, but it was all virtual. That must have been a special moment. For sure. Yeah. And well, I guess to tie it all back, you know, to your family, we'll love to hear how did your family react? So my, um, my brother is super happy, you know, they, I couldn't, so the thing is when you're going public, you can't tell anyone until like moments before. So that I didn't actually tell my brothers until the morning of, cause I, I couldn't. But my mom, I did tell, although she she does kind of, my guess is she called my brothers and told them. But anyway, I called my mom. I was in New York. I think I maybe told you the story. And I call her and I say, hey, mom, you know, tomorrow's a day. And so look on, like, get on TV in the morning and, you know, I might be on TV. And um, I'm having this really proud moment. Like, it's my Super Bowl. I'm excited. I'm going to go ring the bell. And she says, Iha, I got to get the Safeway coupons because there's a <laughs> sale on yogurt tomorrow. And in that moment, I was very humbled. And I was reminded, you know, to her, I'm still her little girl, her Iha, and and I've got to remember that. So you know, it was a sweet moment. She was very proud of me at the same time. That's beautiful. That's actually... Uh, it was a good moment. Yeah, that is beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Elena, for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks, Sean, for having me. Take it easy. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears.